Well, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it to the the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14, and I'm going to talk to you today for just a few minutes about greater vision, about having a vision. In Proverbs 29, 18, the Bible says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And and that Hebrew word for perish can actually be translated, they are unrestrained. And the idea is that where there's no vision, people just go about and do whatever they want to do. There's no direction in life. As a matter of fact, the last verse in the book of Judges, Judges 21-25, it says there was no king in Israel in that day, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. Then. So the situation where there's no vision, that that people just make up whatever it is they want to do, and they wander around aimlessly, and they accomplish little. It's a mass confusion, and so it's very important. And we see throughout the Bible that God gives vision. We can see it repeatedly over and over. We see that Moses had a vision of God in a burning bush. In the book of Joshua, Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, he had an encounter and a vision of the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord's army. We also continue to see Isaiah. He saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6. We know that Stephen, he looked into heaven and as he gazed into heaven upon his stoning, he, he saw the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Peter, in in Acts chapter 10, he saw a a sheet coming down from heaven with all these unclean animals that that God was declaring they are clean now. The Apostle Paul had a vision in, in Acts chapter 16, and he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. We, we see that John on the Isle of Patmos, that, that he had a vision of the revelation of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus, above everyone, was a vision caster. Jesus did everything better than anyone. And casting vision, he was doing that all the time. And certainly he was casting vision about eternal life and about salvation. And, but not only that, but Jesus also was casting vision for ministry and how we should carry it out. And I believe these words that we're going to look at this morning are, are words where Jesus was casting vision for his disciples in that day, and he was casting vision for, for us today. And so I want you to look with me in John chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. I would invite you to stand with me, if you would, in honor of the Lord as I read his word. The Bible says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Father, thank you that your word is true, that it always accomplishes its purposes, and that it never returns void. And we pray you would accomplish your purpose in us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. As, as we look at this passage of scripture, I want you to notice just a few things before we really get into the, the heart of the message. I want you to notice the, prom, the prominence of the pronoun I. 
Five times in these four verses, Jesus says, I. And so this is certainly a Jesus passage of Scripture. And Jesus is telling us what he will do. And, and you see, that's what the message should be all the time. Every time we gather, we should be seeing what is God saying and what is God doing. You see, this is a God book. And, and we find ourselves in this book, certainly, but, but this book is more about God than it is about me. And more than it is about you, it's about God. And so we learn about him. So Jesus is speaking, and so we need to listen to what he says. But also, I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture, that personal pronoun, you. That you is repeated over and over because Jesus is talking to you. And, and every time in this passage of Scripture, you can't see it in the English, but in the Greek, it is a plural pronoun. It's the you all. It's you collectively. And so what Jesus is saying, he's not saying this just to an individual. He's not saying this to someone in isolation. But he's saying it to all of his disciples that were listening to him on that day. And he's saying it to all of us today. He's speaking to us and there is a collective power that he's speaking about. A collective greater vision that he's talking about. And, and in a way, it's a vision that, that you're not going to get by yourself. It's something that you're not going to accomplish alone, in isolation, Lone Ranger style. No, it's only in the context of the collective you, of all of us together. And that's the will of God, that's the way of God. That, so many in, uh, personal pronouns in the epistles are, are plural in nature. Us growing in Christ, us being fitted together in the body is... It's really a, uh, the, the heart of God is it's, it's like your family. I mean, are you happy when your, your kids aren't getting along with each other? It's a lot better when everybody's together on the same page. And, and that's the heart of God. And that's what Jesus is, is saying. Also, I want you to notice in these verses that he's using a future tense frequently. He's saying, I will do this, or you will do that, or he will do this. And, and that future tense, when it pertains to Jesus, speaks of certainty. It's like when you tell your children, you will pick up those toys, you know, or something like that, if, if, unless they're really strong-willed and they won't maybe, but, but you will do that. And, and what Jesus is saying, he says, this is what I will do. And so it's certainty. And certainty, when Jesus gives certainty, what does that give us? It gives us hope. That we have hope that Jesus said, he will do this. So it gives us hope. But also, I want you to notice that there are a couple of statements there pertaining to prayer and a per, pertaining to, to how we love, verse 13, whatever you ask. And verse 14, if you ask. And verse 15, if you love me, there is a, there, those are conditional statements. And so there, there's a degree of uncertainty. And so there's a condition for Jesus doing these things. And that condition has to do with us. And since it pertains to us, it's not always nearly as certain as it is when it pertains to Jesus. So as we jump in and we look at vision and we look at this idea of greater vision today, I want you first of all to see that greater vision begins with faith. It begins with greater faith. Notice what he says there in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me. He uses those words truly, truly for emphasis. Literally in the Greek it's amen and amen. Uh, it, it, anything Jesus says is prominent and important, but he gives emphasis here. And he says that he who believes in me, and he's just repeating what he had already introduced back in the first verse of chapter 14. Verse, chapters 14, 15, and 16, they make up what is known as the Olivet Discourse. 
that Jesus is on the way to the cross. And he's on the Mount of Olives and he's doing this teaching. And this is the most extensive teaching on the person and work of the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. But in, in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then in verse 11, he again says, Believe in me. And here we see in verse 12, he says, If anyone who believes, if you will believe in me, he is focusing on faith. He is focusing on belief that it is hinging on your belief. If you will believe in me, he's casting a vision for all of those who would believe. And we know that the way that we enter into a relationship with God is based on faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Everyone who is ever saved is saved by faith. You must believe in God. You must believe in Christ. That's what he says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That no one will go to heaven apart from their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus clearly taught. That's what the, the Bible clearly teaches. And so it begins with faith. You can't really have vision without having faith. And you can't have greater vision without having greater faith. If you'll believe in me. And, and not only do we enter into a relationship with God by way of faith. But also, we walk with God by faith. The just shall live by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And then we walk with God by, by grace through faith. It's a walk of faith. But also, we please God. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, It is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, faith is necessary. He says, If you believe in me. And our faith is centered not just in believing in belief. Not just having faith. And people say, well, you got to have the faith. Well, I mean, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> I mean, you got to have the faith. Well, I mean, what kind of faith? I mean, everybody's got faith in something. What do we, the object of our faith, and, and, and really the, the truth of the matter is that your faith is an imperfect faith. You don't even believe, I mean, do you believe 100% accurately all the time? I mean, you have a perfect faith? No, you don't because you're not perfect. But you see, the object of our faith is perfect. It's not so much that, that I've got to have all this great faith. It's just I've got faith in a great God. <laughs> I've got faith in one who is greater. And so I'm placing my trust and my, my faith in him and in all of my shortcomings and, and whether, in my doubts and in my fears and, and in my humanity and in my struggles. In the midst of all of that, I believe that God is greater than all of that in me. And because of that, I have a greater faith. And it's not that my faith is greater. It is just in a greater God. It is one who can overcome. And I really do believe that, that God, not only grace is a gift from God, but also I believe faith is a gift from God. Because the truth of the matter is, how can a dead man do anything? Because we are dead in sin and trespasses. How in the world can we make ourselves alive except that God's the one who makes us alive? And he's the one that grants us the ability to trust and believe in him. Well, how is it that we have faith? You say, well, Pastor, that's, it's good to hear that, that, you know, that we should have greater faith. I'm going to have this vision. I've got to have greater, uh, greater faith. Well, how is it that I have faith? Do I just try real hard? Do I grunt real loud? I mean, you know, how do I, how do, you know, is it the power of a positive confession? No, it's not any of that. The Bible tells us very clearly that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If you want faith, then you need to fill your mind and your heart with the Word of God. Listen, people that don't know the Bible are not people of great faith. 
They're not people of great faith. They, this people of wishful thinking, uh, power of positive confession that really doesn't make a hill of beans, won't amount to anything with no results. But I tell you, when we fill our minds with the Word of God and fill our hearts with the Word of God, then, then we see the truth of Scripture and it buoys us, it lifts us up, and it causes our, our faith to grow. You see, our faith is inspired and it is informed by the truth of God's Word. There is no faith separated from the Word of God. And so, first of all, greater vision. Greater vision for your family. Greater vision for your personal life. Greater vision for, for the church collectively. Greater vision for the ministry that God has called you to. It begins with greater faith. That you've got to believe that, that God is, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You have to be optimistic about the future. And listen, you can be optimistic about the future if Jesus lives in your life because he is going to see you through. Nothing shall come against you that, that he will not allow and that he will not empower you to overcome. And listen, for those of us who are believers, that we have the hope of eternity, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that is our hope. Listen, this world and this life is filled with blessing. I, we, we thank God for the blessing. The Bible says that, that he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. But listen, our reward is not here. If you are living your life for reward here, you are living in the wrong manner. Our reward is heaven. Great is your reward in heaven is what Jesus promises. So we look forward to that and we have hope in that. So greater vision begins, first of all, with greater faith. But notice what he goes on and he says in the next phrase. He goes on and he, he talks about the, the fruit that we should bear. He says, he who believes in me, the works that I do... He will do also. And so greater vision not only begins it with greater faith, but greater vision also sees greater fruitfulness. He says, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you will do also. Well, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus loved. Jesus healed. Jesus cared. Jesus fed hungry people. Jesus spoke kind words to to people that were caught in sin and and you just the list goes on and on and, and he says what I did you will do well how's that working out for you <laughs> how, how, how's that going listen I know for me I'm thinking my goodness I can't do what what uh, what Jesus did man I'm I'm a miserable failure at that and then then but he doesn't stop there notice he doesn't stop he says the works that I do you'll do notice what he says next he goes further than that. he said and he said and greater works than these he will do. Greater works. Not only will you do the works that I do, but you will also do greater works. Listen, Jesus is casting a vision. He's casting a vision for his disciples because they're not doing it right now. <laughs> I mean, it, it's all future for them. They're not experiencing that. And so he's telling them, listen, this is what's going to happen. When you believe in me, you're going to do the works that I do. And not only are you going to do those works, but you're going to even do greater works. Notice he didn't say you're going to do more works. There's a word for more that he could have used. He used a word, and we get our word mega from that as, as he describes that. And it's a unique word that he's talking about, and, and it, it means greater. And what is it that he's talking about? The key to what he's saying is the next phrase, because I go to the Father. And when he says that he goes to the Father, there are many implications to that, of him going to the Father. The fact is that when he goes to the Father, he is going to usher in a new day. And a new way. And you see at that 
for him to get to the Father, he's going to have to go through crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. And when he goes to the Father, also the Spirit of God is going to come and indwell all believers. There is that new day that is coming. It is greater geographically. Because you see, Jesus confined his ministry to a, a very small sliver of land. It was Syria on the north and Egypt on the south and the Sea of Galilee I mean, the, the Mediterranean Sea on the west and, and the Jordan River on the east. And just a really small section geographically of, of land, and it was very confined. But you see, Jesus is saying, you're going to do greater works than these. You're going to go to all the nations and make disciples. You're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. But it, not only is it greater in geography, but it's also greater in clarity. In the fact that Jesus would die on the cross as a substitutionary atonement for sin, dying for all sin of all time on that cross. He, it was prophesied in Isaiah, and, and Jesus spoke about it as he, in his earthly ministry, but, but it wasn't really that clear to everyone because it had not happened yet. And, and so he would die on the cross, and then he would be raised from the dead physically, bodily, literally would be raised from the dead. He would walk around on planet Earth for 40 days, and he would give testimony and instruction and interact with people. And then he would ascend to, to go back to be with the Father, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father right now, making intercession for us. And then he says, as I go, he said, I'm going to have to send a comforter. And so the Holy Spirit is sent as the people are gathered there in Acts chapter 1 in the upper room, and the Spirit of God and the, that falls in Acts chapter 2, and we see the miraculous that takes place. Thousands of people are saved in chapter 2. The, the lame beggars healed in, in chapter 3. Thousands are saved in chapter 4. There's the purging of the church in, in chapter 5, and Ananias and Sapphira. We see that there's a great miracles of God. There's the jailing of, of the disciples. There, 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 there's also the calling of the, of the first deacon types in chapter 6. And in chapter 7, we see that Stephen is stoned, and he sees the Lord Jesus not seated at the right hand of God the Father, but he sees him standing at the right hand of God the Father as he's being stoned. And in chapter 8, we see that the Ethiopian eunuch is saved. In chapter 9, Paul is saved. In chapter 10 and 11, Cornelius is saved. In chapter 12, we see that James is martyred and, 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 and Peter is, is in prison and then he's miraculously released. And then in chapter 13, God calls the church of Antioch to send missionaries to all the world. And, and the, the story goes on and on and on. Do you see the implications of what took place when that new day came? When, when there is like an eschatological hinge that took place when Jesus died, was risen from the dead, ascended, and the Spirit of God came, that, that the door swung open, and, and the events that took place after that were miraculous, and they were greater works, even greater works. And it continues today. And you see, as we look back on the first century, and we look back on all that is taking place, and sometimes we look at that with rose-colored glasses, and we read that church at Corinth. I'm telling you what, don't ever name your church the, the First Corinthian Baptist Church. Man, that ch church had more problems and difficulties of, uh, than you could ever imagine than, and all of that. Listen, there's so much dysfunction, but, but listen, God in His grace has given us unique opportunity, and He's calling us to greater fruitfulness 
even today because of the, the Spirit of God that indwells us. But also in that indwelling of the Spirit, it is also this season where believers experience Jesus in His glorified state. He has resurrected. Listen, the Bible spoke about the fact that His name would be exalted. Every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Listen, Jesus is exalted today. I mean, He's got a resurrection body. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and, and He is there. So, so we are living in this greater work season of life. That's why more people are being saved today than any time in the history of the world. I mean, it may not be happening in your backyard, but I'm telling you, the, the Spirit of God is sweeping the globe right now. And people are being saved by the thousands and thousands in some of the harvest fields of the world. And God is doing exactly what he said he would do, and, and he's called on us to, to be involved in that. So these greater works are the preaching of the crucified and resurrected and exalted Christ in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to all the nations in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That idols are being torn down and burned. That darkness that has had, had, had captive folks for centuries and centuries, it's being pushed back by the dominion of light of God's kingdom. And that's what's taking place today. And God has called upon us to be involved in that greater kind of ministry. It's greater in power. It's greater in clarity. Listen, the Apostle Paul he prayed to that end for us. He, he prayed for those believers at Ephesus. And he, he says, I pray that the eyes of your, your heart would be enlightened and that you might know the hope of his calling, that you might know the riches of his glory and his heritage towards us, and that, that you might know what is the surpassing greatness of the power, of the power that is toward us who believe in him. As Paul was praying just a few chapters over in the book of of Ephesians, he says, Now to him who is able to, to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then he said this, According to the power that works within us. Not some kind of outside power that's coming in from outer space or something. No, but the, the power that works within us. That out of that power, that he, he will do far more abundantly according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, not just the last generation, not just generations years ago, but to all generations. And all generations means this generation and the future generations, forever and ever, amen. And, and so we see that is the greater work. So, so God is, is giving us a vision, a vision for greater faith, that we can believe in Him because nothing's impossible with God. God can do anything. Listen, if God can raise a dead man spiritually, he can do anything. If God can uh, create everything and, and speak it into being and in, in six 24-hour uh, uh, days, and that's what I believe and I'm sticking with it, and uh, he, he can do that and he did that, my friend, there's nothing too hard for God. The situation with your son, the situation with your family, the situation in, 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 that's going on at work, the situation with your health, nothing is too hard for God. God can give you hope. You need to have a greater vision. And that greater vision begins with greater faith. And that, that greater vision also sees a greater fruitfulness. Because Jesus says that I go to the Father. And because he goes to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit to come. 
And the Holy Spirit, if you had, we had time, we would look back, uh, look ahead into chapter, the end of chapter 14 and into ch chapter 16. We see that the Spirit, He guides us into all truth. He convicts us of sin and judgment and righteousness. And the reason that more people are being saved today is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He's, con he's convicting people and that Jesus Himself, we do greater works than, than, than He did because He's actually the one doing the greater works because He lives in us. He's the one carrying out the works. He's the one that, that has all power. But also I want you to notice that this greater vision, it's not just connected to us having greater faith and us seeing this greater fruitfulness. And listen, you, you know, they say, you know, well, seeing is believing. Well, for us, believing is seeing. If you believe it, if you believe, do you have a vision that you're walking with Christ? Do you have a vision that you're memorizing Scripture? Do you have a vision that you're leading people to Christ? Do you have a vision of fruitfulness in your life, of making an impact for the gospel and for the world and for the nations? You, you should see that. You should Listen, you dream of, some of you kids, you dream about hitting a home run. You're never going to hit a home run. You, you dream about all this other stuff. I, I never hit a home run either, by the way. So uh, I, I know what that's like. You dream about, why don't you dream about something that God will do? <laughs> God will do. God will answer this prayer. God will answer this vision that he will give you. It's important to see that this vision comes from God. It's not just something that you make up. It's something that, that comes from God. But we see also, as we continue through this passage of Scripture, that, that there's also a condition associated with that. In verse 13, he says, Whatever you ask in my name that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And in essence, saying the same thing in those two verses, and it's about prayer. And so greater vision requires greater prayer. Greater prayer. You say, well, what does greater prayer mean? Well, greater prayer is more prayer than what you're doing right now. <laughs> That's what greater prayer is. <laughs> Whatever you're doing now, it's more than that. <laughs> That's what greater prayer is. It's the same thing about greater faith. It's the same thing about greater fruitfulness. Listen, if you're satisfied... Uh, you don't have a thing to worry about. You've probably got a lot to worry about as far as you becoming, having a greater vision. You don't have to worry about that. Listen, greater prayer, I really believe that's the, the hinge point for us experiencing all that God has for us in, in, in this life. He's promised us that if we'll believe in Him, that we'll do the same works He does, and we'll even do greater works. And I know some of y'all don't believe that. But that's okay. You don't, you're not, it's not that you don't believe me. You just don't believe Jesus because that's exactly what he said. We're just reading the Bible here, just kind of going through it. We may not understand what it means, but that's exactly what he says. But he goes on and he says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And he'll do it so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. And so there's a lot going on there. We, we're asking in his name. We're believing in his name. We're asking in his name. We're, we're asking so that the Father would be glorified. And all of those things are true. But we've got to ask. And the reason that you and I don't have a, a prayer list that has answered, answered, answered on it is because either we don't have that prayer list or we, we, we pray such benign prayers that nobody knows whether they're answered or not. Oh, Lord, bless all the missionaries. I mean, what in the world does that mean? I mean, I, I mean you know, we need to pray specifically, oh, God, heal me from this. God, God, I pray that my son would, would come home. I pray that he'd be saved. I, you know, you, be specific in that. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask, Jesus said that I will do that so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And when you ask it in His name, it, it's not some kind of magical incantation that you throw on the end of your prayer. No, it's you're asking in inconsistency with His character and who He is as, as the Lord. And, and you're asking it in inconsistency with the, the fact that the Father would be glorified. And listen, this Bible is filled with promises. 
that God has said he's going to do. And all you got to do is latch on to a few of those and, and, and holler them out there. And he, I'm telling you, he's going to answer those. He's going to do it. He's already said he wants to do it. And if you'll pray those prayers, God will answer those prayers. And he will do it so that the Father is glorified in the Son. And as we think about these prayers that we offer, we see that, that what God is doing when we pray these prayers, that the Spirit of God is the one who is at work in us. And he is the one who's actually accomplishing this. And so, so why would not the Lord Jesus, why would not the Godhead want to see the, the Father glorified by, by answering these prayers? He wants to do that. He, he desires to do that. He, he is offered to, to do that if we'll pray these greater prayers. That we'll have the answers that, that he has called us to pray for. Also, I think it's important for us to understand what's taking place here. Jesus is in his exalted state. It is a new day. It is a new way that the power of God is being poured out in a, in a fresh way, in a new way, unlike it has ever been before. And God is working in a mighty way. And how is that? Well, one of the things when you consider when you pray, you're praying in Jesus' name. Well, where is Jesus right now? Well, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he is praying also. Is there anybody, somebody get that phone, tell them I'll be with them in just a minute, but has, has anybody ever, um, have, have you ever, is there somebody in your life if you think of, man, I want them praying for me. I want them praying. Uh, uh, you know, those, these people that you feel like really walk with God and all that, and, and that's important that, that you identify people that pray. You know they pray, so you Give them your prayer request. Do you see what's going on here? When you pray anything in his name, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And what's he doing? He's making intercession for us. Listen, Jesus is already praying for you. So when you begin to pray in his name, guess what? You've just joined the prayer circle of the Godhead. You've joined the prayer circle of heaven. And so it does matter who's praying. And in their exalted position, he's praying in heaven. And, and so as, as he's praying, you, you see the power of God, the, the, the potential and the possibility of God's power being poured out in, in an unusual way. So we should pray expecting God to answer the prayer that he says he's going to answer. So we have the, the power of God manifested in that. And then... We see in verse 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, and that, some scholars say, well, that's really connected to the next section. Some say, well, it's, it's connected to the section above. Well, well they're, they're side by side, so it's connected to both. Uh, yeah, they're, they're right there together. The, the original doesn't have verse numbers or anything like that or chapters, so it's just all together. Those are there, so we'll, we'll know where to start and where, uh, where to end and that, that kind of thing. But, but what is he saying? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is another one of those conditional statements and the condition is on us the first condition we saw just previously and the condition is this if you will pray if you will pray Jesus said that you'll do the same works I do and you'll do greater works if you'll pray if you don't pray and you don't believe don't worry about it you say well that's just not going to work you're right it's not going to work for you it, it won't work for you but if you pray whatever you ask in my name Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. If you pray anything, if you ask anything in, in my name, I'll do it. He says he'll do it. But you've got to pray. You've got to believe. And then 
He says, you've got to love. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's a condition of whether or not you love God. Listen, I have talked to people through the years, I don't know how many, and man, this is a common, this is a, well, I love the Lord, but, have you ever heard anybody say, I love the Lord, but? And there's no, I love the Lord, but. There, there's no, that's just, that, that doesn't work. That's not good, uh, good sentence construction theologically. There's no, I love the Lord, but. You either love the Lord or you don't. And if you love the Lord, Jesus said you'll keep his commandments. You'll keep his commandments. I know y'all are great math students. You remember the transitive property in math? I won't call on anybody out there, but the trans, you know, A equal B, B equal C, then A equal C. Well, if you believe in me, you believe in me, then you'll love me, then you'll keep my commandments. So it all goes together. The fact that if, if you truly love God, then according to Jesus, you'll obey him, and, and, and it means that you believe in him. You can't say, well, I believe in God, but I'm not going to obey him. If you truly believe in him, you will obey him. If you truly believe in him, you'll love him. If you truly love him, you will believe in him. If you truly love him, you will obey him. And here we see that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the result of that is greater vision results in greater love and obedience to God. It begins with a greater vision that comes from God. And that vision that comes from God, it starts with greater faith. That we believe that God has a good future for us. That God wants to bless us. That God wants to save us. That God wants to take us to heaven. Jesus left heaven on a rescue mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the mission statement of Jesus' life. For leaving heaven and coming to earth. And that's what he's all about. I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Jesus made it so clear. He made it so plain that of what he wants to do. And, and that's the vision that he's casting for us. But he also casts a vision for our ministry. That we can do the same works that he did. That's why he left to go to the Father. And he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And to live in every believer. So that not only these works we'll do. But even greater works than these. Greater works. Geographically. Greater works in, in clarity. Listen. Do you think it's easier today for people to believe that a, a man was on the, uh, can go to the moon than it was in 1950? Because in 1950, nobody had been to the moon. And so all everybody said, oh, you know, it can't, can't do it, can't do it. Then, but since somebody went to the moon, you believe it. Well, the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he died on the cross for our sin, he's ascended. And, and ha we have that, we look back on what people used to look forward only because of that. There's clarity for us. And in that clarity, in, in the exalted state of Christ today, there's power in that. That the Spirit of God is convicting people of sin and judgment and righteousness as the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so we have hope for a fruitful ministry ahead. It's not based on us. Listen, if it's based on me, then nobody would ever get saved. If it's based on you, nobody would ever get saved. But it's based on the resurrected Christ. It's the, the crucified, resurrected, ascended Christ and, and all the glory and all the power that, that is attributed to him and the work of the Spirit of God in the lives of people out there that we don't even know and we don't even know what's going on and, and how we can even multiply our ministry through prayer in places that we're not even physically present and God can use those prayers and empower those prayers to peel back darkness where for centuries and centuries people have been captive in their sin oh my friend I don't know about you you some of you are saying well you know 
I'm waiting for a greater vision. I'm telling you what, if you're waiting for a greater vision, there's not a greater vision coming. There's not a better one coming. There's not a greater one coming. If you're, if you're looking for that, you're barking up the wrong tree. And, and listen, the greatest thing about Jesus, the greatest thing, well, what do I get when I, when I follow Christ? I tell you, the greatest thing you get when you follow Christ is Jesus. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. Listen, this old world, all it's going to give you is pain and problems and difficulties. I mean, that old body you're in, you can, you can take all the crest store you want. You can walk on a treadmill. But I'm telling you what, you're going to walk out of here one of these days. They're going to carry you out in a casket. Every single one of us. We live in a fallen broken world. This world has nothing to offer us. We're passing through as followers of Jesus, but I'm telling you what, Jesus has everything to offer us. And if you're looking for reward here and now, if you're looking for a temporary uh, creature comfort here and now, I'm telling you, you're, you're looking for the wrong thing. But, but I believe that this message of the gospel being proclaimed to people that changes people's lives, that idols are torn down, that, that darkness is pushed back, that message resonates with people whose lives have been changed by the gospel. Now, if your life hadn't been changed by the gospel, it ain't going to make a hill of beans to you. It's not going to resonate for you. But I believe it with all my heart, and I tell you what, God is sweeping this globe today with people who will follow him, who believe in him. And because of that belief, not because of anything innate of them, not because of their talents, their abilities, their money, their power, their prestige, or anything, but because of the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God working through them, because of God, they're seeing a greater vision of God doing greater things during this, this time through their greater faith that God is giving them and increasing and helping them along the way in their imperfect way, but God is blessing in an incredible way. Listen, greater vision should be inspired and informed by the Word of God. This is not just coming up with some kind of dream that has no root in the Bible. No, it's coming straight out of the Bible. All those examples of vision that, that I gave you were, were visions that God gave people. And they were rooted in that central theme throughout the Bible. God's theme from the very beginning of the Bible is redeeming for himself a people. I mean, in, in the Garden of Eden, I mean, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and they fell in the Garden of Eden, what happened? Did they come looking for God? No. What were they doing? They were hiding. They were hiding in the garden. They had created, they'd taken fig leaves to cover their own sin. They were covering themselves up. And what did God do? God came to them. God sought them out. Adam, where are you? And then what did God do? God provided animal skins to replace those fig leaves to cover them. And, and he was foreshadowing the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. And God has been doing the same thing ever since. Until ultimately he sent his son once and for all to die for sin that he might bring us to God. And that's why Jesus came. He came to give us hope. He came to give us forgiveness of sin. He came to give us hope. He came to give us life with him forever and ever. Listen, when Baptist, listen, brother and sister, I want you to know God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God wants to bless you. He, he wants to cast a vision over your life that is bigger and better and greater and grander than anything you could ever imagine. You think you're finished, you think you're done, you think that you know, you've gone, gone too far this way or that way. I want you to know, God says that he wants to do something. If you'll just believe in him, if you'll believe in him, you'll do the same things he did and you'll even do greater things. If you'll just ask in his name so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you'll just ask and, and God will empower you to demonstrate your love for him by obeying him.